Hi, I'm Joy. Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Girlish Gurus. And Susan, why are we here? We are here to start a conversation about female empowerment and the issues facing women our age at this time, and to have some fun along the way. So, let's get started. Okay. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Girlish Gurus. Hello, hello. And today, we are talking about a big issue. Very big. Big issue. A lot of women may not be aware of it. And that's sort of why we're talking about it. We've both had experiences with it. So Susan, what are we talking about today? So today we're talking about medical gaslighting. People might not understand what that term means. And Joy, you want to maybe give a description of that just to help us get started? Sure. So medical gaslighting is something I think that has been inherently conditioned into our society. And while it affects everyone, including men, it disproportionately affects women, people of color, LGBTQ, and the description that we have of it is patients who have felt that their symptoms were inappropriately dismissed as minor or primarily psychological by doctors are using the term medical gaslighting to describe their experiences. And this is coming out now on social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And basically the term derives from a play called Gaslight about a husband's attempt to drive his wife insane. (laughs) And many patients, particularly women and people of color, describe the search for accurate diagnosis and treatment as maddening. And so this is something that I think we may have experienced, but we're not aware that there's actually a term for it and that is an actual thing. Right. People have described their situations where they've been ill and they have symptoms and they don't feel well and they go to their doctors and they're treated like they're crazy. Or they're dismissed. And they're dismissed. Mm -hmm. And oh, it's just... We'll talk about this a little bit. They're told, oh, it's just your age or you're overweight or it's this or this, it's that. And gosh. I think as menopausal women, we've experienced a lot of this because menopause has been largely discounted. And that's one of the reasons why I feel it's important to talk about this topic. I agree. Because I do think that's a big issue for women, the gaslighting of menopause and menopausal treatments. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Well, we found a few really great articles about the subject. One of the first ones was in the New York Times. It's a very recent article. And of course, we'll put this in the notes for the program. But this one is called Feeling Dismissed, How to Spot Medical Gaslighting and What to Do About It. And it's by Christina Carone. So again, as Joy mentioned earlier, it states that medical gaslighting disproportionately affects women people of color, geriatric patients, which I can vouch for Mm -hmm. with my parents, Mm -hmm. and the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. And an example that they gave in this article was that studies have found that women are more likely than men to be misdiagnosed with certain conditions like heart disease and autoimmune disorders, and they often wait longer for a diagnosis. Dr. For Jennifer Mears, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, M-I-E-R-E-S, states that gaslighting is real. It happens all the time. 
Patients, and especially women, need to be aware of it. She's a professor of cardiology at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra. And she's co-authored a book, Heart Smarter for Women. And you and I, we've both had personal experiences mm-hmm. with this issue. Yes. We both have. And I think we can start off by, if you're not familiar with this concept or you haven't heard of it before, I think we can start off by discussing some of the signs of medical gaslighting. Right. Okay. So this article states that some of the signs of gaslighting are as follows. Your provider continually interrupts you, doesn't allow you to elaborate, and doesn't appear to be an engaged listener. Second, your provider minimizes or downplays your symptoms. For example, questioning whether you have pain I think this one probably happens quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Especially in situations like fibromyalgia mm-hmm. or chronic autoimmune. fatigue, autoimmune, chronic fatigue syndrome, things like that. Because mm-hmm. they're so hard to diagnose. Absolutely. And they're hard to treat. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Third, your provider refuses to discuss your symptoms. Can't say I've ever experienced that one. No. Mm-mm. But I can see where it could be a possibility depending on the dynamic between you and your particular doctor, mm-hmm. etc. And also, you know, doctors are human. Maybe they're having a bad day or something of that's, that nature. That's right. Number four, your provider will not order key imaging or lab work to rule out or confirm a diagnosis. I have someone close to me who's experienced this. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's unusual, quite frankly, because... I think some of that has to do with even our health insurance, not even just the doctor. Which you're familiar with that aspect of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that happens quite frequently as well. Number five, you feel that your provider is being rude, condescending, or belittling. Yeah, I'm going to bite my tongue on that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, just that speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And number six, your symptoms are blamed on mental illness, but you are not provided with a mental health referral or screened for such illness. I think, sadly, the doctors, especially in the case of menopause, I Mm -hmm. will say, are quick to state, you're depressed. You're having an issue with anxiety. It's this or it's that instead of looking at the symptoms and thinking they may be a result of something else. Mm -hmm. So they're quick to give that pill to help with the depression or the anxiety instead of addressing what the root cause of the pain, the symptoms, whatever might be. I agree. Now, I do want to say while we're going through this list, and I feel like this is something that weighs on me, the balance between discussing this trend in the medical establishment and also saying that I don't think doctors are intentionally dismissive. I think in general, people who become doctors go into this profession to help people. I agree. And I think there are wonderful doctors out there. And I think that we need to be careful because I don't want this to be a bash session for doctors. But I do think a large part of this is due to how doctors are being trained. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of doctors out there who are aware of this and who are working to try to solve the situation. But I do think that a lot of this is the training aspect of it. Right. Yeah, we've seemingly in the last decade to two decades moved more towards specialization in medical care versus general overall medical care. And I think in some cases that can hurt the patient. 
I agree. I agree. But I understand the value of specializing Mm -hmm. because there's a huge malpractice issue involved with people who are either giving advice in a legal capacity or as medical doctors. Like, for example, you don't want your eye doctor to do spinal surgery, right? Right. So there is value in specialization. There is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I think from my perspective anyway, what I would say is I want my PCP to at least be willing to have the conversation and look at my overall health initially and then say to me, gosh, Susan, I'm concerned about this too. Let's find a specialist around what I think is going on here and get you looked at more closely. Right. I think that's where the disconnect might be. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is you do have to be your own advocate for your own physical health. Absolutely. You know your body better than anyone. That's right. So I think that's kind of the starting point. Right. I feel like that's how you have to approach this situation. Right. Being Mm -hmm. your own advocate. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things you can do to be the advocate for yourself and what to do if those things aren't helping or if they're being ignored. But I just kind of want to talk about a couple other just interesting items that we found in another article, which was also in the New York Times. And it was called Women Are Calling Out Medical Gaslighting. And it was by Melinda Wenner Moyer. And again, that was an article this year. So it's recent. So some of the things in that article that jumped down at me were that research is suggesting that diagnostic errors occur in up to one out of every seven encounters between a doctor and a patient. Wow. And that most of these mistakes are driven by the physician's lack of knowledge. Women are more likely to be misdiagnosed than men in a variety of situations. Wow. That's a surprising set of statistics. (laughs) I know that's kind of, yeah. I can understand it because I feel like as women with hormones and the things our bodies have to go through, I can see how it's a little more subtle to diagnose issues with women and et cetera. Well, we're going to talk about this for a smidge at the end because I think we're going to have another episode on this. But this gets back to the fact that, too, most medical research up until the 90s was done only on men. We've talked about that before, and there's a lot to discuss around that. And Correct. so I look forward to talking about that possibly in a future episode. Right. Now, women say doctors frequently blame their health problems on their mental health, weight, or a lack of self-care, which can delay effective treatment. For instance, according to this New York Times article, Dr. Spencer's research suggests that women are twice as likely as men to be diagnosed with a mental illness when their symptoms are consistent with heart disease. How about that? I, I don't even know what to say about that. I don't either. That, How can you confuse a mental health issue with a heart issue? I don't know. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, heart disease is the largest killer of women mm-hmm. well over any other disease or illness. Mm. So what does that tell you? Again, that one kind of leaves me speechless. But Absolutely. 
Another item that was uh, mentioned in this article is that women may be misdiagnosed more often than men in part because scientists know far less about the female body than they do about the male body, even though there are biological differences that go down to the cellular level. This is by a senior sociologist at Party Rand Graduate School who studies women's health. Her name is Chloe Bird. There again, this goes back to that thing I mentioned that women weren't included in medical studies until the early 90s. It's ludicrous. And there are fundamental biological differences. Fundamental. That's astounding. This is just astounding. I know. Okay, so from a legal perspective, this item from that New York Times article is something I found interesting. Today, thanks in large part to a law passed in 1993 that mandated that women and minorities be included in medical research funded by the National Institutes of Health, women are more systematically included in studies, yet there are still huge knowledge gaps. So it's actually been legislated. I find that very telling that there's actually a law that has been passed saying you must include women, 50% of the population, and minorities, well, right, in medical research. That's funded by the National Institutes of Health, of course, but still, the need to legislate that. Well, from the other research that I've done, they chose not to include women in the studies for many years because of our hormonal changes that happen monthly. And they didn't want that to influence the tests. Would that not be something you would think, okay, maybe we should we should study that? No, instead it was looked at just the opposite. Exclude it because it skews our research. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yes. So. Holy moly. Yeah, yay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. <laughs> so here again, this article to me was so informative and it's not even that long. So we again, will put this in the notes for you to reference yourselves. But for instance, women with heart disease, which again, as I mentioned, is the highest killer of women, mm-hmm. often have different symptoms from men with heart disease, yet doctors are much more familiar with the male symptoms. So when women show up with symptoms that don't fit into the algorithm that doctors are taught in medical school, they get gaslit and ignored because the doctors don't know the symptoms in women that vary greatly from what men's symptoms can be. And that is a direct quote from a medical doctor. Yes. In that article, right? Yes. Ooh, interesting. All right, so having said this is what the problem is, Mm -hmm. and having harped on it a little, (laughs) and I don't want to harangue anyone. I really don't. Again, I believe there are great doctors out there. There are. And there's value in specialization. Having said all of that, how do we begin to fix the situation, understanding that we cannot change the medical establishment overnight? What can we do? Yeah, I think there are a few things. And one thing I do want to point out too, before we start talking about what you can do as an individual to work towards caring for your own health and your own body and doing what's best for you is there's certainly a lot of noise out there now about there needing to be more research on women's health issues. And I think that that's happening. And we are going to do another episode because there's an organization that's been established to do that called WAM. Again, I'll reference it, but 
I really want to talk about that in detail. And also Maria Shriver has really highlighted this. She did a, a piece on the Today Show about this. She also has regularly put some pieces in her Sunday paper around this. So she's really trying to highlight the issue as well. But let's talk about what you as an individual can do to try and remedy this for yourself and be an advocate for yourself. So for one thing, keep detailed notes and records. Keep a journal and log details of any symptoms you might have, any triggers that come up, whether your symptoms wax and wane or whether they're constant. Keep copies of all your records, all your lab reports, all your medications, everything. Just keep all that together because if you choose to change doctors, to have all that information together is really going to be helpful to you as you move forward. Mm -hmm. The next thing that you can do to advocate for yourself is ask questions and then ask more. <laughs> Don't be afraid to ask mm -hmm. questions. And there is no stupid question. There is mm -hmm. no stupid question. And really, because sometimes people get flustered when they go to the doctor, think about your questions that you want to ask ahead of time and write them out in bullet points or however you need to do it, however is easiest for you, just be prepared. And then if you still don't feel like you're getting the answers you're looking for to those questions, maybe say to the doctor, if you were me, what questions would you be asking that maybe I didn't ask? Mm, good one. I think that's a good one. The next thing that you could do is bring a support person. Aha. Uh -huh. And I actually think that's a great Me idea. Me too. Because, yes. again, sometimes people get nervous when they go to the doctor and they're upset. And, you know, if they're not feeling good, they forget. And so to have somebody there who understands what you're going through, what your symptoms look like, the concerns you have, they can always chime in and ask on your behalf. At the very least, they can be a second set of ears. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think just because it's an emotional time when you're in there, and especially if you aren't feeling good, especially then, to have another set of ears listening to the doctor and hearing what they have to say is really helpful. The next thing would be to focus on your most pressing issue. So don't go in there and like start spouting off all the things that are bothering you. Mm -hmm. Most primary care physician appointments are an average of 18 minutes long. So make sure that you really focus on the things you need to talk to your doctor about when you're in there. And again, if that means making bullet points, making notes, make sure you do that. The next thing is to pin down next steps. And I think this is really key as well. When you leave the doctor's office, you want them to understand you want to walk out of there with three things. The best guess from them as to what's going on and why it's happening, how he or she plans to diagnose what's going on and rule out other possibilities, and then three, what are the treatment options going to be? Mm -hmm. So and if you have to write those down, write those down to make sure you outline those for the doctor. All good suggestions and things to think about. Yeah. And again, we can leave those in the comment section for you as well. Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about a situation where you've done all these things, you're being as proactive as you can be, mm -hmm. and you're still being ignored? This article was very helpful from that standpoint, too, because it did suggest some other things if you just still feel unsatisfied with the fact that you're being heard or 
uh, understood mm-hmm. by your physician. Do I hear second opinion uh, circling around there? Second opinion <laughs> is absolutely one of them. And if you don't feel comfortable asking your doctor because you're afraid they'll take offense or get defensive about that, you can always go to other people in that health system to request that information. So, but I think that's a biggie. Yeah, I think there are some issues with trying to find a second opinion, especially when you've got the whole insurance issue to deal with or expense of moving out of network or whatever. But I think sometimes you've got to just think about your health as the primary concern and bite the bullet. I agree. And it's not always fun and it's not always easy. But when you're talking about your health, Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can sacrifice that. And the other thing is you can try if you really do like your doctor and you just feel like you're not being heard, just say, hey, wait a minute. I don't think you're hearing me here. I need you to really take me seriously and understand I'm concerned about this. Because again, doctors are humans. They could be having a bad day. They could be extremely busy, which is part of the issue, generally speaking, I think. But there could be an opportunity for you to say, let me just drill down into this issue a little bit because I feel like I'm not being heard. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. There are support groups. If you've been diagnosed or you have an idea of what's going on with you, or even if you don't, I think there are different support groups out there to help people talk through their issues and maybe find help in getting solutions and getting to the root of their problems. Also, if you're just not getting anywhere, you can always appeal to a higher authority. There are patient advocates at hospitals and You know, many doctor's offices are affiliated with hospitals now. So you can always go to that. You can go to that physician supervisor Mm -hmm. if you feel you need to. And lastly, you hope you don't have to go to this point, but you can also report to the Federation of State Medical Boards if you feel things aren't being addressed the way they need to be by that doctor. My experience has been, I think there's always going to be a step you can take to try to get resolution to your issue i agree without having maybe to resort to that extreme i hope so yeah (laughs) let's hope right yeah all right so in the last few minutes here are there any other resources you found that you feel like could help folks address this issue well i follow this organization called the global wellness summit and they have different areas within them that provide a just a great deal of information about wellness as well as illness uh, which I I actually prefer to focus on uh, the wellness versus the illness. And I found some information in there that gave me some hope because it, it seems like progress is being made. There's tech stuff being generated that is closing the gender gap in medical research, which is awesome. And there's information that I found specifically from them in that, which again, we'll touch on maybe on another episode. And within that came to light this organization, WAM, which is actually, it stands for, as she, the woman who started this organization said, it's not the band. (laughs) It's W-H-A-M. And they were created to help really further medical research for women. But that stands for Women's Health Access Matters. So, They are doing tons of research, and the numbers are a little scary. I just want to point these out. Nothing stops you in your tracks and brings you back to reality faster than some startling facts, such as 
66% of Alzheimer's patients are women. Wow. But only 12% of the National Institute of Health's Alzheimer's research budget went to women's focused research. Again, speechless on that one. I do know, again, that Maria Schreffer is working with the Cleveland Clinic and focusing on women's Alzheimer's issues. The next thing that was in here was that women are 50% more likely to die in the year following a heart attack than men, but only 4.5% of the National Institute of Health coronary artery disease budget went to women-focused research. Hmm. So this, to me, really highlights the struggle we have ahead of us in women's health and how important the research is going to be for us in these two diseases especially. Mm. Let um, alone menopause. Let alone menopause. <laughs> and we'll, we're going to include that as we do more research around this ourselves and how we can do a better job as a nation and a world focusing on women's health versus just on men's. Wow. Well, this has been a pretty big bite of information for this, you know, half an hour podcast, basically. <laughs> right. And the more I researched, the more I was like, wow, it's this astounding. is, yeah, mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. issue. It is for sure. Well, on that note, we are going to continue looking into this and continue reporting on it. Yeah. And hey, let us know if there's other things you'd like for us to investigate specifically and look into and we'll see what we can do to help bring some insight, Mm -hmm. conversation to it. Raise the visibility of this issue and have a dialogue about it. Right. And start steering the ship, the big giant cruise liner that is the medical establishment here in the United States. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. Yep, we look forward to it. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Girlish Gurus. We hope you'll join us next time for a new, interesting, and fun topic. Be sure to check the description of this episode for any links or information about the episode's topics and to find us on our social media platforms. And don't forget to download this episode, give it a good review, and share it with your girlfriends. The more interaction we get, the more episodes we can post. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.